Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. As always, I'm the host, Tony Heil, councilman in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to past episodes, you know I like to talk to people at all levels of government in every state. Talk to someone from uh, Hawaii to Alaska, Florida to Maine, everywhere in between, from U.S. Senate to school board and all points in between. And I'm excited to go back to a state that I think deserves more attention and a person who I think is going to be really exciting to talk to, to learn about Ohio, uh, State Representative Casey Weinstein. And we're going to talk about what's going on there, um, the challenges, the frustrations, what he's able to do. And hopefully you'll be encouraged at the end of this to stick with it and run for office yourself. So Casey, uh, you have a really great background. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm very, very happy to be here. Happy to talk and highlight uh, highlight voices all over the country, and I'm proud to be a part of that group. You know, I'm looking to you before I reach out to you, and you have a, a family lifetime of service. It seems like it comes out of a movie, both your own family and your wife, everything about that. But it's really hard for a lot of people to see the value of service these days. Um but being public service doesn't necessarily mean elected service. So did you, what was it that kind of encouraged you to make politics and elected office a goal uh, in your own life? Yeah. Um, I appreciate the question. My, you know, my grandfather, um, grew up in a home with a dirt floor. I mean, the guy came from nothing, uh, and enlisted in the United States Navy and then was challenged by one of his NCOs, um, one of his senior enlisted leaders, to um, apply for the U.S. Naval Academy. And he did, and he got in uh, to the preparatory school and then ended up graduating from the Naval Academy in 1953. Mm-hmm. And that really set the course for my family. I mean, my uh, my father followed in service at the United States Air Force Academy and then in the United States Air Force. And um, my wife, my brother, and I, um, all graduated from the United States Air Force Academy as well. In fact, I met my wife in the cadet gym when a TV fell on me. <laughs> she rescued me. That's how we met. So it's uh, it, a lot of our lives kind of tie to the academies and then serving on active duty. I just, I think it's a fantastic way to give back and, you know, it makes you strong. It makes you uh, just personally, it's great for you, but it's of course wonderful to have that dual ability to, to give back and serve. Um, and when I got out of the military, I really sought continued service to my community. And that's really what kept me involved. Um, the first thing I got involved with was the Obama presidential campaigns. That's when I left active duty. And since then, I've just, I've, I've stayed involved at all levels. City was a city councilman. I've been involved in county politics. And then, of course, uh, now in the state legislature for my second term, we're wrapping that up now. So it's it's wonderful to be in a situation where you can make an impact on the community that you live in. And did you get involved in the Obama campaign in 2012 or 2008 when you were? 2008. Because I remember I was in Pennsylvania uh, working there, but I did actually, with the union I was working for, work in Columbus for a week in the primary uh, for Obama, um, at least for the union supporting him. But I remember that Ohio was called before Pennsylvania and I was in a union hall and I was shouting, that's it. Like I, if he won Ohio, that means the whole election is that was, was that your feeling? Cause he didn't get 270 at that point, but Ohio was kind of the linchpin of that election, I think. 
Yeah, it, I mean, it was when when it was going our way, and we really felt that energy. We knew, we knew toward the end, we really had a great feeling about where things stood. Um, yeah, and in two thousand eight, I mean, it, it just I latched on to his message of hope and unity early, and um, just started knocking on doors, making phone calls, and I, you know, I'm all kind of a type A, <laughs> just mm-hmm. you know, go hard and got to the point where um, when he came, they, you know, I got to be in the front row for a rally and, and got to hug Barack and Michelle when they came by. And um, yeah, I mean, I, it was really just knocking on thousands of doors. Um, it was a wonderful way and a hopeful way to come into politics and then to help be a small part of delivering the state for him was wonderful, wonderful feeling. You know, speaking of Obama and your service in the military, uh, there's this great show on Netflix um, that's produced by Barack Obama called The G Word with Adam Conover, and I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of his. Um, but one thing he does, he's, he uses it to explore like how government works or is supposed to work and you know the functions of people like the last administration just trying to destroy that. And he talks about kind of the invisible scaffolding of the government and society. Like you think of the military as going to Afghanistan or going to Vietnam – but did you see that? Is that something you learned through uh, military service? Is it's not just about, you know, flying airplanes and dropping bombs and shooting guns, but about kind of that scaffolding that kind of creates the country? Yeah, you know, I, I talk a lot about, well, I actually I don't talk a lot about, but I, I, I did recently for the first time in a long time, my first day at the Air Force Academy when I, um, you know, 17 years old, um, we were in basic cadet training, getting screamed at, exhausted at the end of the day, trying to find the showers mm-hmm. to, which we were supposed to go do. And I walked out in the hallway by myself, um, which I didn't know at the time you were not supposed to do. And I remember walking down to the middle of the squadron, which is called the CQ desk, and a big group of upperclassmen just slowly peeling their eyes, turning their eyes toward me. Um and looking at disbelief, disbelief that this new basic cadet was, you know, out on his own first day and they swarmed me. And, you know, after, you know, a good solid five to 10 minutes, felt like an eternity of just getting, I mean, in my face, screamed at, yelled at, you know, I started, was starting to lose it. Um, I felt, you know, some pressure on my shoulders because you have to look straight ahead. And I realized it was my classmates coming out to stand with me and take some of the heat off me. Um, in that first day. So that was like, I don't care where you're from, what color your skin is like gay, straight. I I don't, I don't care about any of that. You know, um, just being there for each other, Mm -hmm. uh, is such a powerful concept such an American concept too. Um, and that's sort of, you know, what I brought into public service, which is bringing people together to make, you know, to, to, you know, locking arms, being strong, making change. That's what it's all about. Well, then you decided to make change by running for office. And what were the things that kind of propelled you to make that kind of personal step that you were not going to just be involved, but you were going to try and make this a job and a responsibility of your own? I, uh, you know, was just always involved in the community and looking for ways to and conduits and pathways to channel the energy that I have and the passion that I have for issues like environmental issues, mm-hmm. healthcare related issues, veterans issues, 
um, like how, what's the most impactful way that I can be involved? So I've been involved with nonprofits and community organizations and Rotary. And then when a city council seat opened in Hudson, it felt like it was a ward city council seat in a Mm -hmm. city of 22,000. I felt like this is manageable. We had just had a baby, but I, I felt I could do it. Um, and you know, but I was up, I was, had only lived in my city for two years. Not many people knew me and I went up against an opponent who's, who'd been here for decades. Um, but you know, knocked on every door, took my case directly to voters, um, and ultimately won by about 50 votes in that election. Um, and then really loved it. I had a wonderful experience. I was the only Democrat on Hudson city council. It didn't matter. We worked together. Mm -hmm. Um, with my Republican friends, at least four or five of them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we got things done for the, for the city. And it was, it was a wonderful affirmation of what it can mean to work together in a non-apolitical way to deliver for, um, for my constituents. And then when, a, when our state representative's seat, or, you know, Ohio House seat opened up, uh, I felt it was time to take that next step. And, you know, it's the first Democrat ever in this 37th district. We flipped it. Um, we brought a message of, uh, you know, positivity and um, results um, for schools, for communities, for first responders. Uh, and it, it resonated, thankfully. So I, I just enjoy being able to, it's a part-time legislature. I really enjoy being able to live that life and still be home with my three young mm-hmm. kids and be here for my wife who has her own career. I just felt like it was something I could balance and do. And it kind of escalated over time, the, the steps that I took. You know, um, I just talked, I've talked with a lot of people in local office, including myself, because I talk to myself all the time. Uh, but, <laughs> um, you know, it, it local office is really rewarding because you can see the roads that you wanted paved. You can see the park playgrounds built. You can see the the complexes yeah. that you approve, the zoning, et cetera. You can, it's there in front of you. Um, but I know from people who have run for more local office and then moved up all the way up to Congress, um, you start out with kind of a nonpartisan way of viewing government, right, or a less partisan way. Is that your experience that, like, working in – the things you've done, including your other work, because you said you worked with uh, Senator Brown and uh, you worked with Republicans. Does that help you to, despite all of the partisan craziness, be able to cut through that and kind of negotiate with the other side to, to pass legislation? Yeah. I mean, as luckily this, this was a nonpartisan council. I did happen to be the only registered Democrat on council, but I mean, the issues were, you know, economic development, first funding our first responders, sidewalks, community um, uh, connectivity, parks enhancements, which I specifically ran on. Um, you know, things things like that. That uh, partnerships with our schools as well on shared property or property that we had that um, uh, that they partnered with us on. Uh, you know, it, it's the things and roads and where water goes, mm-hmm. where water goes is a huge part of, of local government, I learned. So, you know, that is that was non-political, nonpartisan. And at the time, our council's gotten a little more politicized, unfortunately, since then. But at the time, you know, I have I have three Republicans, four Republicans who became good friends <coughs> um, and have became mentors to me. Uh, and, and wonderful examples of how to work together <laughs> without injecting politics into anything and just simply deliver for our constituents. You know, 
what you just said reminds me of this great book by Jeff Goodell uh, that I read a few years ago called The Water Will Come about the impacts of climate change. And um, again, I'm just talking with Jonathan Greider from Waterloo, Iowa. I've talked about this at all levels of government. I know you have tweeted about this. It seems like a top issue of yours, mitigating climate change. What kind of thing is that? That seems like a priority of yours. Uh, what kind of solutions are you, you able to try and advocate for, either locally or um, as a state legislator? Actually, the the project that kind of got me on the map a little bit here locally was um, to put solar panels, outfit our community center with solar power, um, and uh, you know that was there. I don't know if there was a solar panel yet in Hudson, maybe just a couple on a residential roof at the time, but we have this great community center with plenty of roof space and not much tree blockage. So uh, my leadership Hudson rotary class, um, you know, I I convinced them, wore them down over time to do um, solar panels on it. Mm -hmm. We had to, we raised private funds and uh, our goal was $50,000. We ended up raising over $70,000. We ran out of roof space and have a ground array, um, you know, and it's been, it was, it was a great thing. It was a symbolic but significant thing for the, for the city. Um, so that, that really was what launched me on to city council. Um, and then, you know, at the city level, we did a lot of work on efficiency in the city um, and, you know, just smart city kind of framework uh, to make sure we were reducing our energy consumption um, and providing more trails and co- connections to move around the city as well. Uh, and now at the state level, you know, it's been very challenging in Ohio. Uh, we have the worst energy policy literally in the world, I think, in HB6, which was a corruption-fueled f- uh, bill that was passed to bail out coal, uh, kill our renewable standards, and kill our energy efficiency standards. The speaker who... Um, who ushered that bill through is under indictment, got kicked out of the house. Uh, but the bill is, the policy is still lost. So it's really been around the edges that we've been able to do things at the state level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have passed the H2 Ohio program, which is a, a, an historic investment in the Lake Erie watershed, which my district is part of. Uh, we've done uh, first in a long time land preservation we have done uh, brownfield remediation. So we've been able to do some good things along the way, sort of on, on the edges, you know, not, not with renewable energy directly. It's been a real challenge, but we've been able to deliver some serious results for our environment in a bipartisan way outside of that. Yeah. So that's was going to be what I was going to ask you next kind of though is, are the things that are the top issues for you today in 2022 and as you run for re-election, are they the same things that kind of propelled you before you started running? Or now that you have experience, you've met these people, obviously the world is a lot different from just two years ago even. Um, so things could change. Are they the same issues that are your top priorities? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I ran on public school funding. I ran on reinvestment in local communities. I ran on economic development. Um, you know, we, I, I have some good, you know, some things that we've done in those areas. We did uh, a, a big increase in public school funding and fixed, made some adjustments and improvements on the formula that makes it less dependent on local property taxes for each district, mm-hmm. which kind of levels the playing field for our schools across the state. Um, you know, we, we, so we were able to move the needle on public schools. We certainly still have some work to do there. 
Um, you know, I talked about restoring funding for local governments. We, we did that. Uh, our previous governor had cut off funds to local governments. We've restored funding to local governments where, as you mentioned earlier, so much of the interaction people have with government is local. I think it's important they're adequately funded. Um, but, you know, now what we've seen is just over the, even over the last 18 months is extreme legislation mm -hmm. coming out of the state house. Um, and I am very vocal uh, in my opposition to those bills. So I'm sort of in a defensive crouch right now and saying we got to hold the line against absolute extremism. I mean, bills to teach both sides of the Holocaust in a neutral way. Yeah, that's um, one of the reasons I tweeted at you is because I was like, this can't be right. And then I looked it up and no, you weren't exaggerating. <laughs> yeah, no, really the bill sponsor said that it will mandate teachers to teach the value that both sides brought to the table of the Holocaust equally. Um, you know, we have um, a bill for any suspected transgender or gay child could be subjected, would be subjected to a genital exam, um, you know, like outrageous stuff, guns in classrooms. That was their response to Uvalde is, is mm -hmm. providing guns in classrooms for teachers. It's just incredibly extreme. Um, HB six still being the law of the land, which includes a bailout of a coal plant in Indiana. Um, you know, so I, I'm pushing back hard. I'm fighting back against that extremism. And that's a lot of what I'm talking about right now. I mean, you may have heard the news in Ohio of this 10 year old child yeah. who was raped and forced to go out of state and then gaslit by our attorney general and, and Jim Jordan. You know, we got to have these people's backs. They are coming after the most vulnerable Ohioans. So that's that's a, an immediate concern for me and my constituents right now. Yeah, I, I saw your visceral reaction to that. That's one of the reasons I had followed you for a bit because I like to talk to state legislators here. But, you know, what what's what can you do about that kind of thing? Because I imagine that even if your legislature is registered more Republican – that seems like a wrong, right? Like you probably think that more people disagree with that insanity than agree with it. Yeah. It, unfortunately it's not just, you know, who's, who's in office here. It's the gerrymandered maps. And right. that's another whole story of, of how extremely gerrymandered our state is, despite a constitutional amendment mandating fair maps. Uh, it was just ignored. And so you've got these districts with, in, you know, vast majority, maybe 95% of Republican seats, incredibly safe. Mm -hmm. And their only incentive is to avoid a primary. So they'll just vote for every extreme bill that you possibly can, even if it's far outside the mainstream of what Ohioans actually want. They care only about their preservation of their, of their seat and their office. So, you know, that's why I get sick of these bills which seems so extreme, there's no way they could make it to the House floor, suddenly making it and, um, you know, getting everyone votes for it. There's no moderates left right. in the caucus. Like on our council, you said like even local council can have some partisanship. We had a member of council who was very vocal and frustrating and it wasn't necessarily about partisanship. It was just like, come on, man, let's, this is local government. And I'm sure you saw that. But then we had others who were Republican who, okay, we'll, we'll work together. We're not. Um, but they kind of knew, okay, that guy is a bit much. Like, you talked to people. You had created this relationship and uh, history of working across the aisle. Do you – how does it affect you personally knowing that – I imagine you talk to people who are on the other side of the aisle who, like, well, I don't really agree with 
all of this, but does that just drive you up a wall? Yeah. I mean, what the pattern that I've noticed is the loudest and most extreme voices in their caucus always get their day and the bill passes and then it goes to the Senate and it passes. And then governor DeWine signs it all. He signs Mm -hmm. everything that comes to his desk. So yeah, I mean, like, but he's a moderate, according to the rest of the country. Right? Yeah, yeah, but he'll sign every bill. Guns in classrooms, mm-hmm. transgender stuff, divisive concepts, both sides of the Holocaust. He, he signs it all. The FOP, the police came out against the, the uh, oh, and concealed carry. They got rid of a light, uh, the need for a, a requirement for a permit for concealed carry. The cops were against that. The cops were against guns in classrooms, and yet he, he signed it. Um, he caters to his base too. He worries about self-preservation too. 41 years into his public service and he's still concerned about longevity in, in office. It's just sickening. Um, yeah, I mean, grow a backbone. Vote what you believe. I put it right out there. People mm-hmm. are going to know exactly where I stand on every issue. And it's me <laughs> you're getting. Take it or leave it. <laughs> kind of like, this is what I believe and this is how I'm going to advocate and this is my worldview and this is why I fight. And this is why I care so much about these issues. I'm going to share it all. And, you know, like we, I may disagree with things and people in my own party sometimes, but I'm going to vote for what's right. And the lack of a spine um, or willingness to do that on the other side uh, is very frustrating frequently. I imagine it's extra frustrating for you coming from a lifetime of public service where you can't get through military service, whether it's you, your family, or your wife, and not have some level of backbone, and yet they can't stand up to a couple of contentious votes that they know are wrong? Yeah, they, I, it is very frustrating. They don't they don't even want like to have a primary challenge. They don't, they don't have tough elections, so they coast through a primary because they vote in, for every extreme bill. Uh, that the most extreme in their party want. And then they have, you know, they, they run up the score uh, if they have an opponent. So they just, they aren't accountable. I'm in a purple district, as I mentioned, I'm the first Democrat in my district in the 37th house version. Um, You know, I'm, I'm fighting for my political life and that keeps me very accountable to every voter, red, blue, or purple in my district. And that's what voters wanted. And that's what they passed in this constitutional amendment that was ignored by Republicans on the commission that was supposed to draw a fair map. And I, I know that's a very complicated thing to get all into, but I, I imagine that no other state has a Republican party that has denied fair representation to the extent that Ohio has. And you can, have, you can look at some crazy things in other states. Um, but it, you mentioned incentive. How do you, is there any way that we can fix that incentive structure, even if we can't in Ohio, because it seems like the incentive is to yeah. reward really dangerous and bad behavior. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, I think you just have to take it out of politicians' hands. But so But how you do know, you that, how do you how do you um do that? Oh, you need to do a direct citizen led ballot initiative. I mean, I mean completely take it out of politicians' hands. Mm-hmm. Don't let us deal with it. Don't let us touch it. Don't let us, you know, uh, uh warp and you know just make it a um kind of craft it to, I mean, this is Republicans I'm talking about, like uh, Democrats repeatedly put forward a map that was reflective of how we vote in the state, 54 Republican seats, 45 Democratic seats, and Republicans just repeatedly put forward maps that were like 32, 33 Democratic seats. They just ignored it. They ignored the will of the voters. So, 
you know, I, you got to take it out of our, out of their hands, out of our hands too, and just have a citizen led commission, or maybe a map expert or a data expert, uh, from, you know, appointed from the different state universities and some citizens as well, um, on a, on a commission to do it that way, like Michigan did. Um, that's, uh, that's ultimately what we, we gotta, we gotta start emulating. And I don't love saying that we've got to get better like Michigan, believe me here in Ohio, but, um, we do got to take it out of politicians' hands. Won't work. Well, I am talking with a Michigan legislator in a couple of weeks, so I'll let them know about your praise for Michigan. I'm sure it's going to help. Who's that? <laughs> uh, Jeremy Moss. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've heard the name. That's fantastic. He, they're they're amazing up there. I, I, you know, they they they're doing great work, and uh, their football team needs a lot of work. But uh, and their coach of their football team is a is a crazy man. But uh, you know, when it comes to uh, the folks they have in office, they got some great public servants there. And, and look, I am from Pennsylvania, so it's not like we always have um, the a friendliest of terms when it comes to sports. But I did say to uh, your colleague, Phil Robinson, uh, in 2020, and I'll say it in a different way now, if Tim Ryan wins, even though I'm from Pittsburgh, I will gladly wear a Cleveland Browns jersey to celebrate. <laughs> because we'll I, have to take you up on that. You won't have to convince a, me. I will happily do it. A Fetterman quid pro quo there, like, uh, you know, if um, – Fetterman beats Oz, which uh, he's he's beating him like a drum right right now. Um, he's running an exceptional campaign, and so is Tim Ryan. Two two great Midwestern guys just running Midwestern great Democratic campaigns. Yeah, um, and hopefully hopefully they can carry through. Well, in, in terms of running campaigns, that's the, the podcast is called "You Should Run." Uh, and we want to encourage people to run for office, but obviously you have a lot of frustrations uh, being in the minority in the state house. But if you don't run, then they have all the seats. So why would you? How would you encourage other people to get together and want to run for office too, especially for state legislature? Yeah, I mean, it it goes back to the incremental approach I talked about, right? I started in um, just volunteering on a campaign, knocking on doors, and then was a county PC, you know, precinct captain, and then uh, got involved in a lot of nonprofit organizations and community organizations, and then ran for council, and then ran for state legislature. It's it's just a matter of doing your part where you're at, standing up advocating for your values, advocating for your family, for your neighbors, right? For the people in your community and region. I mean, I, I have 120,000 constituents. I, we do a lot of constituent care as well. Like it matters to me. I want to be in that seat. I, I care deeply about the people that I serve, um, have been able to get bipartisan bills passed, sign in, you know, um, one of my bills um, went over to the Senate, Senate version passed, and we ended up signing it into law. Um, and what was know, that? So I make sure to give some credit. Yeah, it was licensing for military families so that spouses of active duty military members could work um, when they come to, when they're assigned to Ohio, which was a big problem for um, our classmates and friends when we were young lieutenants mm-hmm. in the Air Force, frankly. So we got, I got that bill signed at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base um, where I used to serve on active duty. So it was a pretty cool, uh, uh, a pretty cool day. So, I mean, you can have an impact. Uh, I, I, gotten to deliver on a lot of great things in a bipartisan way and in some cases historic things investments in social services and wraparound services for some of the most vulnerable through our county organizations i mentioned the h2 ohio program the brownfield program public school funding restoring funding to local governments uh land preservation um you know we've we've been able to do some good things too 
So the extreme stuff is what's come up lately. It's a campaign year and the loudest, most extreme voices in their caucus are on the march. But, you know, I'm also there to defend and stop and call that out, too, and hopefully to hold them accountable at the at the voting, you know, in the voting booth. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out, I did talk with Congressman Connor Lamb uh, earlier this year, and he was talking about the issues of younger veterans are so much different than veterans from your grandfather's generation, because as opposed to veterans living near a VA center or coming home and staying there, a lot of them move around so much. So that kind of legislation you talk about, if you don't understand it, you might not think much about it, but it can make a real impact where people moving so much after uh, moving for service. Yeah, the unemployment rate for military family spouses is like 25, 30, per, it's like 30%. Mm-hmm. If you imagine that you're moving every two to four years, um, how do you have a career? It's right. very, very challenging to have a career, um, especially in licensed occupations like nursing, um, where each state has its own kind of rules and guidelines for that. So, yeah, I mean, um, my support for military families and veterans, I've been on the arms. I was ranking member on the Armed Services Committee, and I'm still on the Armed Services Committee and Veterans Affairs Committees. Very, very proud of that work, and that means a lot to me to be able to give back to that community that I'm also a part of. Yeah. Uh, my wife works in HR and healthcare, and I know all of the other things you have to do from listening to her, and so I appreciate you doing that. Um, just two more questions here. One, you talked about volunteering for uh, Obama's campaign uh, around then, Ohio had a Democratic governor. So Ohio has changed. Can it change back? Politically, do you think do you have hope for making being able to make the progress that will take it back to being more democratic and uh, doing, uh, addressing your priorities in the future? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair question. You know, we've got a guy who wins every time, and that's Sherrod Brown, and he really sets the example mm-hmm. for what it takes to win statewide in Ohio. Um, he is my favorite senator. Uh, an incredible public servant and is like Ohio personified. I mean, he stands for workers. He stands for all Ohioans. He's unabashedly progressive on, on issues and stands up for LGBT Ohioans and, and inhabits all of these worlds he, uh, very well for many different Ohioans. And Tim Ryan is running that kind of race and Nan Whaley mm-hmm. is running that kind of race for governor. And, and these are wonderful people who I've gotten to know well over the years. And um, they absolutely um, I mean, Tim is kind of leading the way um, since it's a national, his race has truly national implications uh, for the U.S. Senate uh, and is just crushing it. I mean, he's just running a, a race that shows all Ohioans that he cares for them, uh, suburban women, uh, workers, union workers, uh, folks in the cities, folks in Appalachia, folks in rural communities, um, everywhere. Tim is doing a great job of reaching them. And that is the model that wins in Ohio. And, you know, I, I'm confident that, um, that we're going to have a solid election cycle this year. And, um, you know, I think we're going to take steps. We have some amazing candidates running for the Ohio house. And I think we're going to take some positive steps this cycle. Yeah. I am a big fan of Tim's. I liked him when he was running for president. Even, um, I knew he wasn't going to be the nominee, but he was bringing up issues in a way that, few other Democrats have done and people appreciate authenticity more than they care about issues a lot of the time. A hundred percent. Tony, that's such a profound observation. 
you, they can agree with you less than half the time. And I've had people tell me that I agree with you less than half the time, but I appreciate that you share what you're about. Tim certainly does that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that you don't back down and that you're present and you show up and you handle the tough questions and the easy ones that you share why, why you're in office, why you're advocating for th- these things. And this, in my case, I share things about my family and my three children and my wife and you know, the, the issues that the, the humans that drive me so much and my two dogs love them too. you got to, you got to give a shout out to my pups. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you take that. Credit, but it's a lot different. Very well on the campaign trail. Yeah, yes. Uh, I, I would have won by more votes if I had dogs, I'm sure, but I had babies in order to help with the vote. That was a whole, that was a whole. Oh, thing. sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so authenticity works as opposed to, you know, being an out of state, a celebrity doctor who pushes fake cures on TV. So, you know, I mean, has that really taken hold? Has that sort of like, he's in, he's in New Jersey. I see it on, on Twitter. I see it on social media, like saying like, this guy is not even a Pennsylvanian. Do you think the average voter in Pennsylvania kind of is, uh, is waking up to what Oz is trying to do there? You know, it's surprising is how many people, like we have the worst candidate we've ever had for governor running. Um, and yeah. Doug Mastriano, and it's really scary. And the best candidate we've ever had for governor running with Doug with Josh Shapiro, and yeah. um, I, I'm a huge fan of his. But um, I think that with the extremist Mastriano, um, there are Republicans who like him because of that. And with Dr. Oz, yeah. there are so many Democrats who don't like him, and Independents, and also Republicans don't trust him either. So mm. it's a nice little trinity there of things. So with, yeah. That does yeah. remind me. I, I do have a red line question I have to ask people now, and I hope you don't okay. mind me asking because, like you said, we can disagree as Democrats, Democrat, Republican, um, but there is one issue where if you, we disagree, I might have to delete this podcast. Are you in favor of sending a, um, an armed mob to murder the vice president? No. Okay. No. Good. No matter who the no. vice president is, right? You're not going to. Murder. Yeah. No. 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 In this case, I mean, Pence comes to mind. No. Okay. Good. No. So we're on the same page. Oh yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, uh, uh, a number of Pennsylvanians and Ohioans were part of that crowd, and that's something we have to reckon with: is, is the extremism uh, that has gripped. Um, yeah. One of my neighbors down the block. I just tweeted a picture because it came up when I was deleting files of him. After that, putting up his Trump signs and putting duct tape over the pence, <laughs> I just thought, wow, that's an adult who pays his bills on time. Like, he's not, well, like, I well, don't know. Yeah, the, the, that was a wake up call. And the commission, the 9 I'm sorry, the 9 11, the 1 6 commission has done a phenomenal job of methodically but clearly and compellingly laying out what went down in the, in the months and, you know, leading up to that. And it's been very interesting to see Fox News totally abandon Trump over the last week. I don't know if you've been plugged into that. I've seen a little bit of that. And I actually think I saw because you shared something about it. And I yeah. think I may have seen that. But yeah. Well, they, you know, um, the Republican Party made a deal with the devil and Trump. And then they refused to abandon him even after 1-6. And I think he is toxic, uh, you know, uh, for that party today. I, I don't think he is a net positive ultimately for them. But they're stuck with him. And he thrives on grievance and having Fox News turn on him will only fuel him. And I mean, they're stuck with him. They, uh, they made this deal. Um, So we just need to have strong, great um, public servants on our side um, 
share how extreme their ad, what they're advocating is and talk about the work. We're just going to double down for the work for the people and pass great laws like chips and support our veterans, even though Republicans abandoned veterans yesterday in the mm-hmm. Senate, support infrastructure, get climate addressed, uh, get prescription drugs addressed, provide more health care to people, uh, clean water, clean air, uh, you know, supporting LGBT children and uh, and p- the most vulnerable in our society, being pro-book, being pro-freedom, common sense gun reforms, keeping our kids safe in schools, speaking the truth in our history. These are the things we need to talk about that really seem, I think, to strike most Americans and Ohioans, I can tell you, as common sense, good good governance. Well, if we're going to have good governments, we've got to elect, keep electing good people who care about those things. That's obviously what you're trying to do. So if people are interested in learning more, uh, what are the best places to find you online and social media? Yeah, thank you, Tony. Our website is kc4ohio.com, F-O-R, kc4ohio.com. And I'm at Rep Weinstein, W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N, across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and yes, TikTok as well. I am now on TikTok. My youth crew, uh, who are doing a lot of field work for us, said I needed to be on TikTok. So there I am. Uh, Rep Weinstein. Find me. Great. Well, I'm on TikTok too, at Tony Heil. I, like, very creative names we have here. Uh, so, <laughs> Love uh, it. I know. There you go. So My I, wife is Prof Weinstein. I am Rep Weinstein. She's a great follow too. Prof, P-R-O-F. So I recommend if you look in the past, you can listen to the KC4PA, and now you can listen to the KC for Ohio. And uh, I hope you're encouraged by what KC has to say, and maybe if you're listening to this, you will be inspired to run for office too. And maybe this November I'll have a reason to wear a Cleveland Browns jersey. Hey, all right. I will hold you to that. Although the Browns are giving just – it's tough with the Browns. Uh, so Let, let's not jinx it. Maybe Buckeyes. Let's just, maybe Buckeyes. Uh, what, what, whatever. I'm only going to get one jersey. So whatever it is, I'll do it. I don't have <laughs> any right, hate well, for the Buckeyes. We'll, I don't mind we'll that. We'll hold you to it one way or another. <laughs> all right. Thank, thank you, Tony. Thank you so much.